Pilgrim's Progress. He has progressed through the first week of four. Okay? Can I remind you, it was written in 1676. If you look at the board out the front of the church as you come in, of ministers of this church, that was just three years before the first minister of this church gave way to the second minister. When John Bunyan wrote this in the first place, that's in 1676, he was in prison in Bedford, and he was in prison for preaching the good news of Jesus. It was a dangerous time to be an evangelical Christian in those days, and so the minister in this church and the members of this church, which were then in the centre of Bristol at Pitt Hay, they also um, often came under threats because they, were, they believed in the Lord Jesus Christ in the way we do. Um, Christian has already told me what's going to happen today. There's one or two things in my episode which didn't appear in your book, though. See if you can figure out which they are. So, Pilgrim's Progress. Last week, in a dream, we met this man with a great burden on his back. His back was turned to the town where he lived. His eyes were full of tears. He was reading a book, and he was worried because the town he came from, he discovered, was full of evil, and it's called uh, the City of Destruction, and, uh, and he had to run away from that. His, his wife and children wouldn't come after him, with him, but uh, you must know that in another dream they did follow him, so that's okay. The book told him to run to a place which is called the Celestial City, um, but he didn't know which way to go, and he was helped by a man called Evangelist. Um, Christian actually got himself in quite a pickle once or twice, and Evangelist had to come to his aid um, on, on at least two occasions. But then we discovered he, he was pointed to a place which is a special gate, and he went through this gate having escaped the arrows of Beelzebub, the prince of demons, and wanting to get rid of his burden like mad. He was painted, pointed by goodwill to a place of deliverance. The place of deliverance actually, and this is where we finished last week, was a little hillock with a cross on. As he approached the cross, he felt that he saw somebody that in his heart he thought he knew, and his heart began to worship towards this person, and the shadow of the cross fell across him. And to his astonishment, this terrible burden, which had been getting heavier and heavier, the straps broke and rolled down the street and disappeared into the open tomb. Some shining ones appeared to him and spoke to him, and... Uh, after they'd spoken to him, he was so thrilled to be rid of his burden that three times he shouted, Yippee! 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 And then stood dancing and singing before he went on his way. But on his way he had to go. He was far from the celestial city, and so off he went. Well, he was always meeting people on his journey. It wasn't long before he came across... Um, some people, one was called uh, uh, Mr. Formalist, uh, who really liked humbugs, as it happened, and one hypocrisy, who was a bit of a poser. And uh, he said, how did you get onto this road? And they said, well, we jumped over the wall. People from our town, which is a town of vain, vain glory, have been jumping over this wall for, for centuries. And, uh, and they've, they've, obviously it's okay for them. But you've broken the rules of the journey, said Christian. You're supposed to pass through the wicked gate and, and, and come by the place of deliverance. <laughs> our people have never done that. But... Um, but but don't you realise those who come over the wall are, are thieves and, uh, and murderers? He said, and they just looked at him and laughed at him and uh, said, well, we're in now, aren't we? So we're in. So Mr. Formalist and Mr. Hypocrisy joined Christian on his journey. Well, you're following your own fancies, said Christian. I'm following the rule of my master. 
It wasn't long as they travelled along together that they came to this crossroads. It was a crossroads where there was a very broad path went left and a very broad path went right. And they stood there wondering for a moment between them which way they should go. Mr. Formalist, taking a humbug and sticking it in his mouth, said, I think I will go left. But what he didn't realise was, and there was, a, there was a deep, dark and terrible forest there, and he got lost, and unfortunately he was never seen again. Mr. Hypocrisy, on the other side, on the other hand, decided he'd go on the, the wide road that went right, but again he encountered mounds and potholes and all kinds of things, and he fell and nobody knows what happens to him. Christian, however, looked ahead of him. He saw that the narrow road that he'd been told to follow went straight ahead of him, and so that was the way he decided he would go. He would follow the the narrow road, but as he looked at it, he realised that it went up a very, very steep hill and disappeared into the clouds. It was actually the hill of difficulty. However, He set off quite fast, beginning to run up the hill. And then as he got further and further up, um, he began to crawl and and clamber because it was so so steep and he wondered whether perhaps he shouldn't come up and wondering whether to go down. And when he managed finally to, to sort of scramble up to about halfway, he came to a little bower that had been put there by the Lord of the Hill. A bit like a picnic spot or a beauty spot where you can stop your journey and have some rest. And so he stopped his journey there and he got out the parchment with a shining one had given to him at the cross and he began to read the parchment and, and took a lot of comfort from it. And while he was taking comfort from its words, he looked at the new uniform that had been given to him by another shining one at the cross. And he looked at it and thought, hmm, I'm really pretty well togged out now. This is quite smart. I feel like I'm, I'm dressed for the celestial city. And he admired himself. And as he was admiring himself, he nodded off in the warmth of his own happiness with himself and then fell into a deep sleep. <coughs> slept for a long time. It was towards the end of the day when he woke up and he jumped up and rubbed his eyes and and rushed as hard as he could rush up the final very steep bit towards the top of the hill and then he heard some screaming and some footsteps and some people coming towards him and some people charged into his presence and stopped. There was a Mr. Timorous who was a bit of a scaredy cat a mistrust who looked at you as though he never quite believed what you were saying. And they were about to breath and they were saying, help, help. And, and, and Christian said to them, what are you doing? You're running the wrong way. Um, uh, the celestial city is that way. Yes, they said, we were on our way to the celestial city, but there are so many dangers on this journey that we're getting worried. And, said one of them, uh, just up the road we came across these lions and we heard them roaring in the distance and uh, we thought we just cannot bear lions, not more dangers after what we've already faced. And so we're off. And at great speed and screaming, they charged off in the wrong direction. It was at this point that Christian felt for his parchment and realised that he didn't have it. Oh no, he says, I've got to go all the way back. 
And so he did. He went all the way back, looking right and left for his parchment. And as he went, it got very near nightfall, darker and darker, until eventually he got back to the arbor. And then God graciously directed his gaze to the place where he dropped it. But now he was feeling very sorry for himself. He was saying, oh, sinful sleep. Now I shall have to walk without the sun. And now I shall have to do this journey the third time when I needed only to do it once. And so, once again, he went to the top of the hill. But at the top of the hill, although he could see a place in the distance called the Beautiful Palace, he remembered what those two others had said about lions, and he wondered whether he should go on. And he was comforted because he remembered, though he was scared of the beast, something in the parchment had said, desire now a better country, that is a heavenly one. And he said, yes. That's what I desire. I'm going on. But as he went on, it got very dark. He had seen that the beautiful palace was there in the distance. But as he got near, he heard these terrible sounds coming out of the darkness. Not just one, but two lions were roaring in the dark. He couldn't quite see them, but he could feel them scrabbling around as he got nearer and nearer. And then a door in the beautiful palace palace opened and the doorkeeper shouted out to him, Do you shrink back? Follow the light and stick to the light. The, The lions are changed. If you stick just to the light and don't turn off it, they can't get you. And so, very carefully and cautiously, he crept forward, listening to the porter's words, feeling the lions on either side, seeing the lions now, feeling the rush of air as their paws came out to claw him, as they tried to trip him up. But eventually, eventually, he managed to get past them. And he reached the doorway. Somewhat out of breath, he said to the porter, please, please, can I come in? But the porter was very wary. He said, well, who are you? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm on my way to the celestial city and I was just passing this way and I hope you might give me a bed for the night. Well, we don't let anybody in here um, and it's very late. Why are you so late? Well... And he told the sorry story, didn't he? And the porter said, well, that is definitely a sorry tale. That was very silly of you to leave your parchment behind. But wait a minute. I will get one of the young ladies who lives here. And so Miss Discretion came to the door. Miss Discretion was a lovely lady, but a very serious-looking lady. And she questioned him closely, but discovered that he really was serious about his journey to uh, uh, to the celestial city. So she said you may come in. And never was he more pleased to get into a place than he was that night. They were very kind to him. They gave him something to eat and then they asked God to protect them during the night. And then they took him to a guest chamber whose name was Peace. And his windows opened to the rising sun. And he took off his shoes and went to bed and slept such a night that night so peacefully and calm. He was fully refreshed when early in the morning he woke again. 
He looked out of the window and there indeed was the rising sun just coming up above the hills and he thought this was wonderful. I must get on my way and he got himself dressed and ready and then went off but the young ladies who, who owned the establishment said no, no, you can't go yet. Wait here. Wait with us for a while. When the sun is fully up we'll take you up onto the roof of the palace because when you get up there you can see the delectable mountains. And so they prevailed upon him and he waited and when the sun was up, that's where they went to the top of the house. And there in the distance he could see these beautiful range of mountains, the delectable mountains, beautified by rich woods and forests. And they said to him, when you get to the top of that range, you can see the gate of the celestial city. And now he was even more willing to get there and he wanted to, he wanted to rush off straight away but still they wouldn't let him because it was a very long way to go and of course he had to go on foot, didn't he? Instead, they took him downstairs and they took him to the armory. A bit of it was a bit like a museum. There were all these artefacts, all these things in the armory. There was, for instance, the fire. There was um, the sling and stone which David had used against Goliath. And there was the rod which Moses had used to, to stretch out over the, over the sea. And there were the pictures and the trumpets and, and the lamps which Gideon and his tiny army of 300 had used against a host of enemies. And as he looked through these things, he took real encouragement because he thought, well, even the smallest person, even the smallest group with God can face the greatest dangers because God is with them. And he took courage. Now can I go, he said. No, not yet, because we have some things to give you. And so there they are, the four sisters, charity, piety, prudence and discretion. You have some serious enemies to face, they said. We want to give you some armour. And so first of all, over his belt they gave him a breastplate and the protection of a helmet. And then they gave him a shield it's a, a wonderful shield that could protect him from fiery darts and a wonderful sword which could slay just about anything and shoes which didn't wear out because the enemies he had to face weren't human enemies. He had to face spiritual enemies. And so they dressed him in this wonderful armour so that whatever may face him, he could stand and having done everything would still stand. When he was ready and equipped, they finally let him go on his journey. The sun was bright. It was a brilliant day. He walked on very happy and after a while he stopped to have a sip of the wine and raisins and some of the bread that they'd given him for his journey. And he was feeling very happy and, and looking forward to meet, meeting another pilgrim because as he left the beautiful palace, the porter told him that a friend of his called Faithful had passed by that way earlier in the morning. And he remembered Faithful. He came from the same city and he thought, perhaps I will catch up with Faithful and we can walk together. But he wasn't destined to meet Faithful that day because while he was thinking these happy thoughts, suddenly something blotted out the sun and it went very dark. He wondered what on earth it could be. And then he saw approaching him a terrible, foul fiend, a horrible-looking creature who looked more horrible as he got closer. He had scales which were his pride. He had wings which were like dragon's wings and feet like bear's feet. He was a loathsome, foul, cursing character. His breath stank as he breathed out his curses and from his belly there came fire and fumes and he stood before, before 
Christian and Christian was ready to run until he remembered he didn't have anything for his back. No armour for his back. If he ran, he would surely die. He must face this terrible creature. As it is in dreams, you often know things which you didn't expect to know. And he realised that this character was actually a polyam. Where are you going? said this terrible fiend. I'm, I, I'm Christian. I, I'm, I'm, I'm on my way to the celestial city. And where do you come from? Well, I, I come from the city of destruction. That's my city. I'm the prince of the city of destruction. How dare you run away from me? Well, I've given my allegiance to a new king who's the king of princes, he says. I know this man, said the feast. I hate this man. But I don't like you running away from me. But his service is much better than your service. Yes, but you're not a very good servant, said the, the beast, who seemed to know more about Christian than he thought he ought to know. You fell in that slimy swamp, didn't you, because you were so despondent? <laughs> and didn't you lose your parchment? And uh, didn't you get rather pig-headed and get late when you were in that little place? A fine kind of servant you are to your new master. Christian knew it was true, and he said as such, you're quite right, I accept that what you say is right, but my new master is very merciful and very forgiving. Well, come back to me, and I'll double your wages, said the fiend. I'll not come back on your wages. No one can live on your wages, says Christian. Yours are the wages of death. And at this, the fiend was so furious that he lifted up his arms and he straddled the path so that Christian couldn't possibly get by and began to throw fiery darts at him. Well, of course, Christian had a shield and the darts thundered and clanged into the shield and into his breastplate and, and he was able to survive and he took out his sword and he decided he was going to make a fight of this. And the fight went on with the, the beast roaring and, and, and shouting and, and, and Christian more and more groaning and sighing as it went on through half the day and he got weaker and weaker. And although he had his armour, which was so good, he was still injured in the head and the hand and the foot until the time came when his weakness was so great although he kept his face to the beast he was losing ground and suddenly the beast clouted him and the sword fell from his hand and the beast saw his chance now I shall have your soul said the beast and knelt down on him and pressed with one hand down to the ground so that Christian could scarcely breathe but just as the beast was living up, lifting up his other hand to destroy him forever Christian reached out his hand and he caught the sword and he remembered, I'm on the way of holiness. You can't win here and don't rejoice over me, my enemy, because when I fall, I shall stand again. I shall get up. And he took the sword and lifted it up as the beast brought himself down. And the, the sword pierced the beast and there was a terrible, terrible screech and a cry and a yowl. And then, for the first time, Christian permitted himself a smile. Because he saw that the beast was lifting himself up on his wings and flying across the fields, defeated, dripping blood as he went. Christian, however, was losing a lot of blood himself. And if he were to die there, there was no victory at all. But God was very kind to him and showed him that there was a tree there called the Tree of Life. And with these leaves placed upon his wounds, the bleeding stopped and he was immediately healed. He got up and refreshed himself with some more of the food which the women had given him.
And then, with a strong heart, because of a great victory, he said, now for the celestial city. Surely nothing can be worse than that. But he didn't know. And nor do you yet. You'll have to come back next week to find out. <laughs>